Welcome to the Apple of Truth, our bi-weekly podcast where we nerd out about our favorite TV shows. Currently, we are covering every single episode of Good Omens based on the book by Sir Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman. And because we are who we are, we focus on details you didn't need, but for sure deserve. I'm Vero. And I'm Lina. And today we're talking about season two, chapter five, The Ball. But before we can talk about anything relating to this episode, as you might notice, my voice is a bit gone because last weekend I was at an event. And I happened to run into one of our lovely, lovely listeners at the event. And I was standing there and he walks past me and he points something out that... For some reason, we never realized. And now, Vero, I have a question for you. Do you remember the actress's name for Shax? You don't don't look it up or anything, but do you remember? We talked about... I'm, uh, I was looking at it today, but uh, no, I... Miranda, I she used to play Rita Skeeter. Yeah. Do you remember where you last saw her? On Good Omens? Yes, in season one. Oh my God, is she also in season one? Yes. Will I take a stab into the dark as who? Is she one of the angels? It's fucking Madam Tracy. Oh my god! <laughs> how? How did we not realize this? I think I just blew my microphone. <laughs> and it took until episode five, until our listeners finally stopped screaming at the podcast, yelling, Literally. it's not just Nina, it's not just Nina. Literally, fucking Davey, walking past me, how can the two of you complain about Nina showing up as another character when Miranda is right there? And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Click, click, click. Wait, Miranda was in there before? As who? As Madam Tracy. Oh my God. Wait, there's more. Did either of them ever met Madame Tracy is my question. No, 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 no. Wait, there's more. Um, you remember how I complained that Nina is played by Nina? Yeah. What is the name of the actress for Maggie? I don't know. Maggie. Oh, there you go. Guess, where did we see Maggie before? Is she one of the n- nuns? Yes, she's another nun in season oh one. God. This is just an alternative universe, like, I'm telling you. <laughs> I am... I am... Honestly, quite disappointed in us, but also it makes sense because I was so overly cautious not looking at anything because I was so terrified of spoiling myself that I did not even look at any like actors' names or anything. Or credits, yeah. But that is no excuse that we did not recognize Miranda as Madame Tracy coming back as Shex. So I do apologize. I want to say thank you. And I'm just, oh my God. Okay, first of all, I didn't mind them doing the Nina Nina thing or uh, using the same actors. You were the one who complained about it. I would like to just remind our listeners that because we didn't complain, you complained. Uh, <laughs> but I also didn't recognize her. So I didn't recognize any of them. You recognized none. I, I, I recognized Nina. <laughs> 
I only recognized Maggie because you told me that she must be somebody there. It was the most logical explanation. It's not like I remember any of them. And I literally rewatched season one very recently. I feel like that we did not recognize Maggie is fine because we only ever see her in the non-habitat thingy. Yeah. That you didn't recognize Nina, I don't understand because I harped on about her so much. But that neither of us recognized Miranda being Madame Tracy and Miranda being Shax <sighs> is just... They're just such different characters though. Yeah, but still you can really see her face and she does not look that different. I legit looked up Madame Tracy pictures from season one. I was like, how? How? I am very disappointed in us and I really wanted it in the episode so that everybody can know how bad we are. <laughs> yes, we were told. Also, by the way, if you do have any notes like that on us, because we are not, we never claim that we are all-knowing or that we know this everything, please send us an email. You do not have to wait until one of us happens to be at an event you happen to be at. Which, of course, you can also do. But please do send us messages and emails and everything. And I promise we will make fun of ourselves while recording. So please, if there's any other atrocious mistakes or blatant ignorance on our part. <laughs> do share. Do let us know. Okay, and now we go into the actual episode. I apologize for my voice. It was a very great weekend. Let's see what actually happens in this episode. I kept it very short and neat with Aziraphale throws a ball, Nina becomes single, demons come to earth and at the end Crowley goes to heaven. Oh baby, because he deserves it. No, because he's planning something and I don't understand what, but we will talk about that at the end. Hmm, there is a lot of things. Okay, so let's get into the word of the episode and it is indeed British. Technically. <laughs> My word is paltry, which is used by Shucks, calling the humans paltry, paltry humans. What did I think it meant? Well, because my brain is weird, it immediately connects the words to words that sound similarly. Pantry? Yeah, that was my first thought. My first thought was pantry, and it's like, that makes no sense. So, you know, <laughs> it is what it nice. is. Okay. Uh, yeah. What it actually means, it means very small, trivial, or worthless. So mm. we like that about Shucks because she is very direct. But this is not where this word started out. First known use of the word paltry has been documented in 1565. But back then, it had a different, now kind of obsolete meaning. Before paltry was an adjective, it was a noun, palt, which meant trash. That Ooh. came from palt or pelt, which in dialect terms meant piece of coarse cloth or broadly trash. It basically literally meant trash. And that has been connected to come from the middle low German palte, palte which should mean rag. I don't. No. It is an old German, uh, I suppose. So I just figured I'll check with you. However, if we think about it, the original meaning of paltry was trashy, which honestly 
also very much works in the context. And I would not be surprised if sharks meant it as trashy humans rather than uh, just worthless humans. But, you know, porquinolos dos. Good. Let's see what I came up with, because I'm going to also introduce a language we usually don't use in these etymology tangents. My most British word of the episode is to carp, because when Aziraphale tells Crowley to get out of there, if he's just going to carp, I was like, what? And I understood what it was supposed to mean, which is like to complain, to whine. But I thought that it was taken from like the mouth movement of a fish, like the carp, the fish. Oh my God, that's cute. So that was my assumption. And oh boy, am I wrong. <laughs> so It's me. I would guess it came from carpet. No, 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 no. So <laughs> it actually means in detail to find fault or complain querulously, which I had to look up because what the fuck is querulously? Querulously is in a complaining way, especially using a weak high voice. So I don't know what you're talking about. Find a fault or complain querulously or unreasonably to be niggling in criticizing or to carp at minor errors. So I think I carp a lot, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe not in a weak high voice, but in a loud high voice. But yeah, there also is a noun for carp. That is not the fish. That is a peevish complaint. And peevish is having or showing an irritable disposition. So even looking up the word gave me more words that were beautiful. Like querulously and peevish. So ta-da! Okay, but now where does it come from? It comes from the early 13th century. To carp, the verb. To talk, speak, tell. Back then it was just normal talking. It was apparently taken from Old Norse, karpa, which means to brag. And while they were not really sure of the exact origin, I found another thing that said it was probably still influenced by Latin. The meaning from the word changed around from finding fault within or to complain. And that happened in the last 14th century. And it was probably because in Latin you have the word carpere, which is very similar to carpa. And that means to slander or revile. Mm-hmm. Literally, when you go back to the root root of carpere, it means to pluck because it was taken from kerp, which is like the harvest. Aha. Uh-huh. So basically be as nitpicky that you pluck the tiny singular things and then you combine it with the Norse word that means just talking and then together you get niggling and criticizing, complaining querulously. So yeah, it's a great word and I'm very happy that we now randomly have Old Norse in our etymology library. It's Yeah, we haven't had a lot of words that didn't come from French or Latin. Yeah, basically everything is Latin, Latin. After all, we are talking about English here, which is just bastardized French. And yes, I said it and it's true. And you all know it, English people. You all know it. I mean, no lies detected, but also, I mean, everything is Latin because they were everywhere. But apparently some old Norwegians also had an influence there. Ta-da! Love this! Uh, The facts and funs this time do happen some information that is completely non-surprising to anyone who has ever listened to us. Because it's exclusively Doctor Who references. Because... 
While in a magic shop, Crowley, David Tennant, dons a red vest. Yet another Doctor Who reference as Matt Smith, the 11th Doctor, was fond of wearing feathers because feathers are cool. Feathers are cool! I lost my fucking mind during that scene, as you will notice when we get to this scene. Go on. And then, of course, Aziraphale talks about the Doctor Who annual published in 1965. David Tennant, who stars as Crowley in the show, starred as the 10th Doctor. La 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 la. Various other actors from the show have also appeared in Good Omens, including David Tennant's father-in-law, Peter Davison, who was the 5th Doctor. Really? Shocker. Shocker. Yeah. So, I am deeply disappointed in IMDb once again. (laughs) Because there is so much information on the Amazon note, so I really don't understand why so far nobody has taken the time to at least take those informations over there. Everybody is too busy losing their minds over the finale. So we are the only ones who actually care about these things right now because we have not seen the finale yet. Good point. Okay. And lastly, I want to say this episode apparently has a lot of deleted scenes because the Amazon notes keep referring to, oh, did you know Justine has a peanut allergy? Check out that deleted scene. Oh, did you know this? Did you know that? And so I just ignored all the, oh, did you know moments? And I'm just telling everyone watch the fucking outtakes and then you will know all the tidbits. I am very curious about this because there is a full-blown fucking section for bonus on Amazon and I can't wait to watch the episode, the last episode, either tonight or tomorrow or very, very soon in the next 24 hours and then go through all the bonus because it seems like they really put in a lot of work. Yeah, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. I know that the actor who plays Muriel apparently does a lot of the talking for the bonus because they keep doing references. If you want Muriel to take you through la-la-la, then click here. And I'm like, no, not yet. (laughs) (laughs) Soon. And that is all we have for the general facts and funds because everything else, as usual, I kept in the scenes. Very good. Without further ado, previously on Good Omens. Gabe, who isn't Gabe but sometimes is Gabe, came to Azurafel, who is now trying to protect him from the hosts of Heaven and Hell, who are both actively trying to find him. Shax has proven herself to be very capable and good at being bad, and now is planning an attack on the bookshop. Azurafel lied to Heaven about a miracle and now needs to get Nina and Maggie to get together. Crowley would die for Azurafel, and Mrs. Sandwich is the best new character in the show. Oh, absolutely. Also, I adore the fact that you used the hosts of Heaven and Hell. That makes me very happy. Yeah, but with that setup, let's go into the episode and let's go to hell. And basically we are starting where we finished last time. We have Shax getting her army. She is on the way to get her army, her legion. And the way she walks is with all the purpose in her step. I was very much here for it. And I enjoy the fact that she now enters a room where Furfur sits because he is still in requisition, I guess. Mm-hmm. So that is adorable. I love that it's Furfur. I love that we had that mini megasode because now we know their relationship and we know that Furfur isn't probably very pleased with Shucks. I mean, he's not doing actively anything to put stones in her way or anything. But so she says that she wants 10,000 demons because she wants a legion. And obviously I have to carp about this because (laughs) a legion is not 10,000. A legion is around 5,000. Well, we will learn more about legion in another scene. But I don't think she just, she uses legion as in like specific number. I think that she just wants 
many. Yeah, but a legion is... A specific number, yeah. Well, it's not a specific, specific number, but if she wants 10k, then she should ask for two legions, not a legion. I mean, we all know that... Demons can't count. Yeah, yeah. But I love that Furfur is not, as we said, he is not sabotaging her, but he is not helping her either. Why would he? Yeah, so, you know, can't really put my finger on why would he hold a grudge? Really? I don't really think that he holds a grudge because I don't think he blames her because it is not her fault. No, she pushed him to try to do that and told him it was going to be okay. So she gave him a little encouragement. Oh, they're demons. So, like, why would you not expect a demon to behave like a demon? Mm, doesn't necessarily mean he's not gonna he's not gonna blame it on her. Anyway. Nothing in this scene gave me the feeling that he blamed her or anything. We go upstairs to London and I have to say, when the camera follows Aziraphale outside of the bookshop, for the first time in ever did I notice that the frontal bookshop has an angel in the middle. Oh my god. Aw. There's a lot of angel references these days. Yeah. I never saw that. I don't know if it had been there before. This time it was very in my face. I'm like, how have I missed this? But now I noticed it. So first bookshelf that you like pass when you go into the shop or last you pass when you go out. Angel. Yay. Ha. Nice. I'm going to pay attention to that next time. Tiny baby chubby angel. Angel. Yeah. Cherub. Cherub. That's the word. Cherub. <laughs> and he's got a list of shops. And they are typed out on a typewriter, which is very cute. I wrote it down because the list is in alphabetical order. Of course it oh, is. I was wondering why he didn't go by address, but he kept going up and down. Because he goes in alphabetical order. So it's Arnold's, Backroom, Goldstone's, Herbalist, Italian, Lucky Snake and Marguerite's. Of course. Anyway. Mm -hmm. The herbalist is Mrs. Cheng, by the way. The one he meets in the middle of the street doesn't go to her shop. Okay. Now, we get Zerafel walk first into the music shop. And is it called Arnold's? That is Arnold's. Yeah, yeah, that's Arnold's. Yeah. So he goes inside and there is a guy playing harpsichord. But before we go into Arnold's, why and how in your right mind can you pass over the fact that Crowley asks, can I watch? I feel like he just finds it very curious. I don't care what he thinks. I only care about the innuendos. Oh my god. <gasps> okay. Crowley is doing nothing in the first part of this episode besides watching Aziraphale. Yeah. Yeah. Deal with that. That is... Ah! I mean, I don't see it in a sexual way, so. It's not sexual. That's not my point. How much in love with someone must you be that it entertains you enough and gives you joy enough to do nothing but watch them do their thing? Just be there. He has no reason to be there besides to be there. Yeah. Ah, you're an emotionless ice block sometimes. No. No, this is not... I don't see this as a love thing. I think that from my point of view he's watching him because it is genuinely entertaining to him but I mean obviously it's it's enhanced by his feelings for him so you know that is a correct assumption now are we ready to go inside Arnold yeah, yeah I just wanted not to gloss over that but oh no you're right you're not wrong let's put it that way <laughs> What happens next is slightly worrying because I feel like Azrafel comes on a little bit strong with this entire situation, which then I feel like he's going to amend a little bit when he deals with the rest of them. But he talks to the shop owner and 
when uh, the shop owner doesn't want to come, he tells him he's gonna give him the Doctor Who annual, which I was like, he would be pretty much fine with just like looking at it, I think. I also don't understand why he would give it and Crowley reacts in the same way I would. How did this just happen? Crowley is very much us in this episode, I'd say, because there is multiple moments where he has a certain reaction to what Azraffel's doing. And it is my reaction that I had when I was watching Azraffel do it. I think Azraffel is just incredibly hyper-focused on this needs to be done in exactly the way I want. And I think that the music is the most important bass thing that he needs. So this is the one where he is willing to go whatever it needs and not haggle about it. Everything else are just guests. And in theory, if one was missing, eh, so what? But if you didn't have music, you can't have a ball. Fair enough. So that was my reasoning as to why it made sense that he would go all the way for this. After we leave the music shop, Crowley starts questioning why Azraphel would give away the book. And Azraphel tries to justify it by saying, Oh, Nina and, and Maggie are depending on me, even though they just don't know it yet. And I'm like, nobody asked you to meddle, Azraphel. You're doing it for your own selfish reasons. Well, he has to because... That was his excuse for the miracle. I know, I know, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I understand that he needs to do this, but it's not because he wants to do it for them, he's doing it for himself. So at least admit to it, please. I don't want to be, once again, the Aziraphal apologist, but I don't <laughs> think he has selfish reasons in this because the reason why he came up with this is the miracle I did was because he was protecting Gabriel and that was not done for selfish reasons so while he definitely ships Nina and Maggie all of this is not born out of selfishness this time okay let me rephrase this he is not <laughs> doing it for for them selfish reasons but he is not doing it for them which is what he is trying to claim right now so uh, I would just like him to fess up and admit that he needs this to happen for reasons that are unconnected to Maggie and Nina, which makes it wrong, in my opinion. He can't, because if he acknowledges that they don't need this and they don't want this, then it would shine light on the fact that what they're doing is wrong. And we're going to talk about that later in the episode when Israel proper meddles with all oh. of them. Oh, yes. All so. right. Yeah, we go very briefly into hell. And there is some negotiation happening about the number of soldiers that Furfur or Frofro can give to Shucks at this point. She asks for a thousand, then she asks for 500. And yeah, she's going down and down and down and down. And he says, you know, I can't give you soldiers that I don't have, which on one hand, fair enough, but like also... <laughs> Isn't there like a so many demons in hell? It makes me wonder, why are there not more? Is it because you're right and Furfur holds a grudge? Is it because they are busy with something else and we simply don't have warriors? Hmm. Like, what is it? Because what happens next, and that is she goes, let's do a hundred, or she asks how many she can get, and he goes, you can get 100. And then immediately he goes, oh, it just dropped to 70. I genuinely feel that he holds a grudge. I mean, given the fact when you look at the demons that she does get in the end, there is not a single warrior. Yeah. 
They're the bottom of the barrel, as Crowley says. Yeah, but I honestly think there aren't any. I think there are no proper fighters. There are no warriors. There are no soldiers. But, like, I find it weird because it's not that long ago we were supposed to have the apocalypse and they were supposed to be fighting with an army and they were getting ready for it. They were, you know, prepping yeah, but both sides. Look at the angels. They're also no soldiers. But they do think they are. Yes, but neither side is remotely what they claim to be or what they pretend to be. So I think, A, we really don't have a legion of fighting demons because we never did. And B, yes, potentially he is giving her the bottom of the barrel. But think back in season one, the Dukes of Hell. They also sucked. That's true. And they were supposedly the top. So if they are already that bad, of course the rest is even worse, you know? Yeah, that's that's probably fair enough. So demons suck just as much as the angels, but more visibly, basically. <laughs> it's just I'm imagining the fight between angels and demons now as this like a spoon fight. It or something been like that. If season one had ended differently and heaven and hell would have done the final confrontation, it would have been basically like a kindergarten fight. Yeah, feels like it. Yeah. And then War would just be standing there going, What the fuck is what? happening? Yeah. Can I just go play with humans again? Maybe we should not have stopped the apocalypse in season one and just let them do their thing because nothing would have happened. And then Adam, without losing his Antichrist powers, could have just made the world nice with like, okay, and now you shoo, 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 go away and we do our thing. Yeah. Okay, but it's a very short moment that we have. And so we pop back to London and continue with our shop visits. And we have to go into the magic shop. Of course, Aziraphale is having a moment when we go in oh. there. He's breathing oh. in the air. which And we are understanding the moment because we've seen in the last episode episode how important that place is to him and also it's magic so he is still obsessed with magic we also well, know that yeah the <laughs> shopkeeper's name is never said but amazon of course provides it and the shopkeeper's name is mutt m-u-t-t mutt and later on when mutt's spouse shows up their name is also just mutt's spouse I noticed that one, but I didn't realize. Yeah, my brain didn't connect it. That is... Rude. Somewhat rude, yeah. Yeah, so no surname, no nothing. Mutt is just Mutt and the spouse is just Mutt's spouse. Mm. See, I'm kind of liking the fact that we are back in this specific shop, even though it's run by somebody else, because now I feel that there is a connection between the Megasode and what we have now, because it would have felt like a lot of the things would have come in vain and we lost so much time of the show doing all of these detours if nothing came to fruition from that. This is why I'm still expecting for the jukebox to come back somehow. And It must. It must. Must. It must. The song also. I mean, the song does come back later on, but... Oh, does it? I missed it. Oh! <gasps> Okay, I'm gonna have to. Pretty sure it plays during the ball. Oh my god. Okay, we'll get. <laughs> ah! My brain is just melting right now. I will be rewatching this episode anyway, so I'm gonna watch this one again and then straight go into the finale. So your brain is melting and my body is melting because it is nearly 30 degrees. Oh my god, how terrible. Also, there is an awful lot of marionettes in that magic shop. Those are not marionettes, those are ventriloquist dummies. Interesting. They had the lines next to the mouth. I mean, the marionettes have that too. 
but no strings, no nothing else. They only had that. So Okay, if they don't have strings, it, I felt like I saw strings and little sticks coming out of their head. I was very sure, but maybe you're right and I'm wrong. Either way, creepy. I'm rolling my R's today, I don't know why. Okay, uh, there's a lot of shit in the background, not just the dummies, be it marionettes or ventriloquist. There is also, of course, the fez that occupies Crowley throughout the scene and the magic ball thingy. I'm not gonna lie. I did not pay attention to anything Israfel was doing in this scene because I was just watching Davidson in, in the background playing the doctor. I mean, to me, it didn't read as doctor when he goes with the hands around the glass orb. It's not that it reads the doctor. It's just David Tennant and a fess, which is automatically the doctor. Here we have Israfel now learning from his past mistake and he is not offering to hand over the book. He is offering to lend the book. And obviously, for the book, there is an Amazon note. S.W. Erdnasses, expert at the card table, signed with his real name, S.W. Erdnase, the author of this book, concealed his identity as books on gambling methods were prohibited in the late 19th and early 20th century. S.W. Erdnase, spelled backwards, is E.S. Andrews, which left many people speculating that this was the true name of the author. Ta-da! And there's another trivia for the scene that this is the very first scene that David Tennant and Michael Sheen shot together for Good Omens Season 2. Oh my god! Oh, babies. I love their chemistry. This episode is giving me a lot of joy. I'm not gonna lie. Like, set aside all of the complaints that I'm having. Do you have complaints for this episode? Shut up. <laughs> it brought me a lot of joy to watch because there is a lot of tidbits that I feel like we've been missing in the last two episodes at least. I feel like in the first two episodes we were busy with complaining about the Nina Maggie side story. Then that got put to the sidelines and we were happy. And then we started complaining about how Aziraphale is being portrayed because it differs from what we're used to from season one and it doesn't match what we want for our ineffable husbands. So that was our focus the last two episodes. And now Nina and Maggie are back, which we're going to talk about. Aziraphale is still behaving in a way, which we're also going to talk about. But everything is also coming together because we only have two more episodes. We only have this one and one more. So it all feels a bit more connected, I feel. Yes. And, you know, it is a show that has been made to be binged, basically. It's a streaming show. So uh, as per usual, it doesn't work one by one. It's gonna make sense as a whole much more. Don't overthink it. It makes sense. If this doesn't make sense to you, you need to watch Lucifer. Yep. We leave the store, which was store number two, and we don't even have to go to store number three because we happen to run into Mrs. Chang and Zerafel has a short conversation with her about the meeting and she says she and her husband will be there and the entire conversation is done in perfect Chinese according to Amazon subtitles. And that brings me to the question if Michael Sheen actually speaks the language because it sounded very no English accent kind of a thing. It sounded too accurate to be just I memorized this from something. Although he is an actor and he can hear music and languages are basically just music to our ears so if you can hear music you 
have perfect pitch, I think it's called. It's easier for us to... I mean, to... musical actors oftentimes don't even speak the yeah. language, but they still learn the songs. We're gonna put it on the list. But we go down to hell and sad to say this is for five seconds and then it's over that I enjoy hell. But the beginning of this scene I am so fucking here for because holy fucking shit the outfit Shax is wearing. It's giving so many maze vibes. I'm loving it. It's so fucking cool. I'm so here for it. But then it's very disappointing and it becomes very cringy and Does it? Word the scene. Yeah. It's I didn't find it cringy. Bad. I was so disappointed and I'm so whelmed and I'm yeah. No. It was very much one of those things that I've seen come in because the second I saw the demon Eric, I was like remembering from season one. Yeah, he's the copy demon. And Hey, we recognized you... someone. Ha <laughs> If you pay attention to the crowd of demons in later in one of the scenes on Earth. There is another copy of him. Nice. Okay. I did not catch that. But okay. Hey, we recognize we both recognize someone. Yay! Yay! Because this was so difficult to recognize. <laughs> yeah, totally. Unlike Miranda. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> But either way, Maze vibes, loving it. Doesn't have really quite the Maze personality though. Yeah, she can't command the room, and this is what is so disappointing to me. I don't understand it. Why? You know what? I get it on one hand because Shax is very cunning and she is very long game playing, but she has never been in a leading position like that. She has never been, you know, commanding a legion or something. And as as much as she loves the idea of doing it i don't think that she has necessarily the skill which she is proving right here so you're saying this is the first time she actually has responsibilities and authority yes and now we see her crumbling underneath the pressure under pressure dun, 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 dun. exactly and this is why her speech is so incredibly overwhelming because she doesn't actually know what she's doing yes at all that is a satisfying explanation <laughs> i still am totally whelmed and i am very disappointed in my girl because i was here shacks 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 yay you go get them girl you're becoming a properly scary villain now you get the outfit and then it fizzles out and I'm like <laughs> boo yeah She definitely was super fucking scary in the last episode and she is not really living up to it. Yeah, and this is why I'm sad because I was here for major villain and final boss. Yeah. Checks. But yeah, that yeah. is not meant to be. So we leave hell after some conversation down there and we go back up to London because there are more shops or restaurants in this case that Aziraphale needs to go to. And Aziraphale is being super fucking obnoxious by speaking a very bad French with a very thick English accent at the restaurant owner who literally says, Mr. Fell, I have been living here for 15 years. I speak English. And yet he continues on. So, you know, it's very Israfel choice. Which at least is consistent because in season one, he also didn't speak a leg of French and still insisted on speaking French and even ended up in fucking jail because of it, if we remember that. It was the whole the Bastille thingy. 
and he nearly died because of his shit French and he still insists on talking it. Need I see more? <laughs> we actually did have a discussion back in season one about this where we were trying to figure out how is it possible that he doesn't actually speak French because it seems that they have been speaking all languages of yes. all times. Next London scene, we get an answer to that. But before we go there and before we go to hell, I actually have an Amazon note for this scene. And once again, this is an Amazon note that without this information, I would not have been able because I went through the scene frame by fucking frame. I did not see it. But apparently there is a person sitting in the restaurant that is wearing a T-shirt that reads Hole in the Chalk Gang which is one of the gang names Adam and his friends try out in the Good Omens book. I love this. So I love that we do get all these shirts, but unlike in Edinburgh, where I could make out what was written on the t-shirt, this I could not find. I say we should get a series of t-shirts for all of the names <laughs> that are mentioned in the book. Because yeah. I'm sure that we can put them together and make very simple designs in MS Paint. And because <laughs> I am an artist TM and I will happily pop them up into our shop that is not actually we don't have a shop. official or open to public. But we can, we, can, we can print out our own designs. And if you see us walking around with some very random t-shirts, it's probably that. Okay. Apparently this is gonna be a thing now. We did not talk about this. Let's see what <laughs> happens. Yeah, we'll see, we'll see. That is the only note Amazon has for this very, very long scene. It's a minute long. But <laughs> we go down to an even shorter scene in hell that is 30 seconds. <laughs> Basically, this is Shucks getting pissy and maybe a little scary or rather not really scary, but very, very pissy at the demon Eric. I think the word you're looking for is she's getting authoritative. When someone who is in authority does not know what they're doing, but because they are in a position of power, they use this to shut up other people who are actually pointing out really important, helpful and relevant stuff. Yeah, Eric was being helpful for once. Yeah, so I am not here for Shaxx in a position of power. And that is sad. I wanted her to be successful, but now that she has reached the position that she wanted, I don't like her anymore. Mm, oh. So she basically full on tells Eric, if you say one more thing, mm -hmm. I will end you. But this is actually another reason points towards Furfur holding a grudge because Eric does say, oh wait, are we not fighting angels? Because that's for Furfur's said. So even though Shax said specifically, do not tell anybody, but we might be fighting angels, Furfur literally just went and so told everybody that's what's happening. <laughs> I stay on my position. They are demons. How are you surprised that a demon fucks another demon over? It's not about holding a grudge. It's about each other fucking each other over because that's normal. It's as So breathing. technically they all hold grudges against everything and everyone at all times. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna give you that. Okay, so you're correct because it's their base setting to hold a grudge. Yes. Okay, okay. And I'm right because it's nothing out of the ordinary. <gasps> yes. Now yeah, we're both right. We're Yay! both correct. We love when that happens. And we? we go back to... <laughs> Sorry. We go back to Earth and luckily, because Crowley is our baby and we love him, and he is us, he asks the correct questions and we finally get the answer to... Why the fuck is Zerafel speaking French in the way he does? 
he goes on the whole bit that he learned it the hard way and then he says some more bad French and Crowley, charmingly enough, translates it. I had three years of French. I don't understand what Aziraphale is saying. I didn't actually write it down, but some words felt familiar. So uh, I would say that he says phrases that he's been taught. You know how, how people know phrases from Duolingo? Or I still remember phrases, French phrases from my French book from when I was studying in high school. Donde esta la biblioteca? It's the only Spanish yeah. phrase I know. Donde? Yeah. Donde esta la biblioteca? Yeah, very good. Uh, so basically what we learn about their language skills is that they speak some sort of like a common tongue that sounds like that specific language to whomever they speak to. So uh, it's like the... Really? It feels that way because they always no. speak English to people even no. though the people don't necessarily no. are English. No, Zerothot spoke Chinese. He doesn't speak English to the herbalist lady. He spoke Chinese to her. Yeah, that's the weirdest fucking thing. No, so like, you but, haven't... But even last episode... Crowley. You were on your, oh, they speak to one and that's why we hear it. When I asked about why the, the zombies speak uh, spe speak German. Um. Yeah, but like <laughs> what I'm trying to say is like when we think back to the Bastille in season one, Crowley talks to people there, but he still speaks with his own voice and with his own language. So he technically speaks English, but they understand him. So that's how I kind of understood it in my brain. I was trying to understand how it works. Crowley spells it out. You speak every language. There's no mystery. The answer is angels speak every single language. That's the answer. And Aziraphale made the choice to not speak French and learn it the normal way. That's the answer. There is sadly no mystery there. The only question is if by falling, Crowley lost the ability to speak every language. No, no. He says, we both do. Ah, we both speak I all the that. languages. Then? So he didn't. But anyway, good. yeah. So they had this conversation and then Nina shows up and fucking calls them out and I am so there for it. Before she calls them out we have the whole obvious she needs to be invited to the meeting and it's the easiest sell yet because oh it's about the shopkeepers meeting we'll be talking about the Christmas lights because I have things to say which yes I believe that when I see her the way we have experienced her I very much believe that Nina has opinions about the Christmas lights. And I think later on we hear someone talk about, or earlier, that they will not go because of how much it was, was obsessed a, about the Christmas shop, lights. Yeah. And I would not be surprised if Nina was one of the problems that they <laughs> talked for hours about the Christmas lights. So Ten years ago. I want to acknowledge I am not a Nina fan. But this episode is changing my active dislike. I am still not a Nina fan. I don't think I'm ever going to be a Nina fan. But she is growing on me this episode. Every moment of interaction that she has is less obnoxious than all of the ones we had before. She seems less angry and defensive than she has done so far. And also she has... Pretty amazing one-liners and moments in this episode. And all of this together obviously helps, but my heart has already been closed towards her, so she has a hard mm. position to be in. I'm sorry. You know what? That's fair enough. And I will take it because 
with this episode, I am officially a <laughs> Nina fan. So I have gone that step further and I now like Nina. But we'll talk about that later. But you already had a soft spot for her. I did because I connect with her. Yeah. But in this moment, this is the moment when actually the whole thing started like full on actively flip for me. Because she just comes out and looks at them and goes, I'm just enjoying the show. And I'm like, thanks for the show. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. And then Zerafel leaves and mm. she has a conversation with Crowley and they have a moment. You've been together long and he takes so long to realize like, what? <laughs> he gets so flustered by this entire conversation. It feels like he does not see it coming. Yeah, which um, we have to talk about because so they have this conversation and she points out like, oh, um, do you have another husband? Is he a bit on the side? La la la. And Crowley is basically offended on Zerafel's behalf because he's far too pure-hearted to be a bit on the side. Which, true, like, yes, I'm, I'm not arguing that. But the conversation that they have ends with Nina basically saying that the love lives of others is so much simpler than your own. And then she goes inside. And Crowley's face is still working after that. And I swear to fucking whatever if this is the moment that Crowley actively becomes consciously aware of the fact that he is in love I will like I don't know break something because no I don't think that it means that he is actively aware of it but I think that he always knew that or for a very long time at this point I think he was aware that there is a connection between him and Israfel but I don't think that he admitted to himself that he wants this to be an actual full-on relationship in a sense of a human. So you say until this moment he is not consciously aware of the fact that he is in love with Aziraphale. No, no, no. I'm not saying that. I I think that he Is just he aware didn't... he's in love with Aziraphale in this moment, yeah. yes or no? Yes, yes. Okay, then what is he being facial about? <laughs> I think what's happening, he doesn't like that other people are seeing it, for starters. But also, I think that what's happening there is been, he has been introduced to the thought of a conventional human relationship. Mm. And he is processing that thought right now. I mean, that others see it is something that has happened because of the whole the rumor that they were an item. Yeah, la, la, la. but he didn't actually, you know, care about those people. And I think that... He also he doesn't care about Nina. I think that he and Nina are having a moment and because... And he quite likes her. Which is something that I feel like it's gonna... I think that they're just vibing. Mm, okay. This is something that is more happening further down in the episode. But this is, I think, where it starts. They have a moment here. And then from here, he starts... Yeah, later you have the for once in your life, trust someone. And, well, and that, but moments. then... There are a few moments through the rest of the episode when it feels like he is thinking of her as a pal rather than a random person. And I'm not saying that it's like a strong connection, but it's definitely a connection that is more than with a regular other humans to me. But I, I'll point the moments out to you when we get to them. I mean, the only connection that I see is that she is part of his project Vavoom, which is like when a scientist has two mice in a cage. So Yeah, I mean, that's that's <laughs> how it starts. But because she is analyzing him back I feel like he becomes the scientist is confused as why the mice is suddenly making good points looking at him make, and, and and doing like little research on, on himself okay. exactly that makes sense I can actually work with that like <laughs> wait why is the rat making a good point fuck maybe it's smarter than I gave it credit <laughs> yes yes <laughs> 
Okay. And then he starts to slightly respect the rat for the rest of the episode. <laughs> okay, well, we shall see about that. I'll point out to you why I think that when we get... We go to the final scene before the opening. <laughs> Back to hell. Oh, okay, so this is the moment where Shax is finally fed up with poor, poor Eric. And they're just... Uh, the copy demons are just so killable, I guess. Yeah, they're expendable. They're despair. But also, they were providing like really important information that the big lift is broken and they can only take the small one or the stairs. And the idea of taking the stairs is hilarious to me because also I'm pretty sure in the opening there are stairs that are being used. So I'm pretty sure that is like the reference to that. So the scene ends with we shall take the stairs and we go into the opening. Yes. But I feel like this is one of the latest moments in the seasons for the opening because we are past 10 minutes at this point. Yeah. Throughout this opening, we have... I don't think there's anything new that I don't... I have noticed before. There is a few references that I am now recognizing a little bit better. This but at the end, <laughs> the way we had the name of the Minisode, I was oh, yeah. trying to pay attention to what we will see this time because there is no Minisode. Uh, there is only the episode this time, thank God. And there is actually just the name of the episode. There, it just says the ball everywhere around the uh, cinema. And there's a sign as well. And then we so walk inside. Right. Nice. Yeah. I must confess I didn't watch the opening this time because the first time I watched it I was a bit under time pressure and yesterday when I watched it for the second time to write down all the notes I was feeling like shit so I was like I don't have the energy for this so yeah Opening is over, we're back in London and we are also back in the French restaurant because for some reason Crowley is sitting in the restaurant See, my thought process here, right? Last time we see Crowley, he is just told about being a couple with Zerafel by Nina, who uh, we had just had this discussion. And Crowley was like, wait, we could try to be like a more human-like couple. Let's do a romantic date. And he sits at the table with a little rose and orders wine and, and everything. And then he just calls Zerafel over. Obviously, that's not what's happening. But that was my thought process when I first saw Crowley at the table in the French restaurant. I mean, it's becoming very apparent in this episode that you made your notes when you were in a very happy, positive <laughs> setting. And apparently I'm being a negative Nazi because I don't even see how you could come to that conclusion. To me, it is very obvious now that we've debated the whole pointing out by Nina and the effect that has on Crowley that now he needs to sit down, have a drink. We also learn, obviously, that he's scared of Gabriel, so he doesn't want to go inside. But to me, it's not like, oh, let's be romantic. Rather, uh, oh, no, I just had a revelation on some level, whatever the detail level is, I now need alcohol. So let's have some fucking wine because I need to drown my sorrows. I feel like if it was that, he wouldn't have called Zerafel over. But uh, yeah, we don't know. We he don't know. He still wants what... to spend time with him. He's still smitten. Ha ha ha. To go further into the scene, but the scene before we reach the smitten, smoten, smote part, Zerafel says something that just made me do very weird noises because he says to Crowley, why are you not waiting inside? You like waiting inside. Because this implies that very often Aziraphale has to do stuff and Crowley will wait for him in the store. Mm-hmm. They hang out. He hangs out with the books and that by himself. Crowley gives off the vibe that he enjoys 
waiting for Aziraphale. And that Aziraphale is aware that Crowley likes waiting inside the bookshop for Aziraphale. And it's... It's giving me vibes that Aziraphale is doing some of the things that he's doing because he thinks it makes Crowley happy. Yes, and later on we get confirmation on another level when it comes to that. And I have issues with this because, yes, if both sides are in agreement, like, hey, I like doing this, I like doing this for you, or I'm doing this because it makes you happy and this is why it makes me happy, la la la. Yay! But there is no communication ever. This is all just operating on assumptions and that is not good. I feel like he, when Zerfel says that Crowley likes waiting inside, it felt like Crowley agreed to it because then he says, yes, yes, but Gabriel is inside, basically. Yeah, maybe he agrees now to it, but like those two are not great when it comes to communication. Let's not kid ourselves. This short, cute sentence and my brain and my emotions go <laughs> all over the place. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Also, it's cute as fuck. Like, don't get me wrong. Despite being a negative Nancy, it is also cute as fuck. It's very cute. We also are getting a lot of vibes from Crowley about Gabriel. And we are getting this hammered down a little bit more than we had so far because we know that Crowley has been very uh, wary of Jim and uneasy around him. But we don't necessarily, we didn't know exactly why. Aside from the fact Archangel, Demon, Natural Foes. And we're going to get more into this, which actually makes me very happy because he brings this up and... Zerfel goes, well, why don't you just try talking to him? And Crowley says, well, why the fuck not? Basically, let's do this. And takes obviously takes the wine because he's not going to be, he shan't be doing this sober. I don't blame But him. I'm going to say this thing for the first time in my notes and it's going to become a theme very soon. Zerfel is taking this a little too lightly, everything that's happening. He is giving me a feeling that he is convinced that if he only convinces heaven that the miracle that he's done was for Maggie and Nina, everything's going to be fine. There is no other danger and there is nothing else that he needs to worry about. And that's what he's giving me and I don't think that is enough worrying because from what we have learned so far, no. I would go even a step further. I don't even think that he is focusing on needing to convince heaven. Right now he's only looking at his ship. (laughs) He ships Nina and Maggie and now he wants this thing to happen. There are hints for me at the end of this episode that he might have a hidden agenda, Mm -hmm. which doesn't make it okay, but makes our ship work better. So there we are. But also I feel that Aziraphale comes across as Crowley and me defeated and survived the apocalypse. Nothing can touch us now. Together, everything will be fine. Mm-hmm. That is a good point, and I don't like it because yeah, it's, 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 it's cocky. It's dangerous, and usually, like, arrogance comes before the fall, but maybe it's also time that Aziraphale finally falls. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see what's going to happen in the next episode. Mm-hmm. Before we go over to the bookshop, we have a very short coffee shop insert here mm-hmm. where Nina is getting texts from Leslie? Lindsay? Lindsay. Yeah, me and names, you know that. But most importantly, those names show up on the chalkboard. But did you notice the top left corner of the chalkboard? I did not. There's a heart with two initials. Is C it A and, a and C? It's C and <gasps> A. Cute. <coughs> 
<laughs> that noise that I just did was not good. <laughs> also, <laughs> because I realized that you are not paying as much attention to the music this time around. Did you notice that this is the moment we're supposedly having another Queen cover? I and... listened to every single piece of music in this episode, trying to decode it. And this is the time when I didn't notice that there was one. I also, and even though I went back and tried to hear it, I didn't hear it. But supposedly, I'm going slightly mad is playing in the coffee shop because in the coffee shop is where we get all the queen covers yes Ah, but we basically get a breakup which is very aggressive and very passive well very passive aggressive and i do not like it but yay nina is single now yes we finally have gotten rid of that obstacle (laughs) have we now (laughs) it wasn't even zerafel's doing which is shocking honestly i mean later on nina says that she doesn't think Lindsay even liked her. Yeah, that conversation is difficult to hear. And we will talk about Nina's self-esteem and Maggie's approach to it. Oh, yeah. But let's talk about the bedroom scene. And unfortunately, <laughs> this is not the bedroom scene that I expected. And wanted. But it's the one we got. Yeah, we go to the first floor of the coffee shop, which still a thing. I'm still amazed it <laughs> exists. And Crowley is drunk, so that he has the courage to talk to Gabriel, I would assume. He is so ominous as he's walking in. Yeah. He's like legit a bit scary, which is cute. And then he melts. He melts. Because, well, he melts my heart anyway. He doesn't actually melt. But we get to learn some details about... Why Crowley is so, and has been, so uneasy around Gabriel. Which I completely forgot about, because what even is season one? We didn't remember what Madame Tracy looked like, so why would I remember what happens in the last episode of season one? Come on. Ugh, right. Uh, So, (laughs) basically, this feels like a very primary fear. It feels like a massive, massive trauma that we have not seen on Crowley before. He always comes off super blasé and very confident. And it's the walk and it's the hair and it's the suit and it's the trousers and everything. And this is a very rare moment of vulnerability for Crowley. And I love it. And this entire episode, built on everything that we've seen so far, is making me want to hug Crowley so fucking hard because he is struggling. And we've said it in the first episode. He seems like he is very much struggling with something. And he is going through shit. And he is depressed. It is wild how many characters seem to be going through a low potential depression something. And for most of them, we don't care as much. Because, sorry to say, I don't care if Belzebub is going through depression or not. Or a purpose issue. But obviously we care about Crowley. And I can't believe that I completely forgot the fact that both of them went into a situation that should have destroyed their best friend and also themselves. And maybe, maybe this is one of the reasons why Aziraphale is so different now. Maybe the way Crowley is suffering underneath, under all of this and is being depressed because of it, maybe Aziraphale 
on the other hand is turning into fatalism like nothing matters doesn't matter in the end it's gonna work out and if not it's not gonna work out Kesera Sera basically and maybe that is why he is so callous and careless and that actually makes so much more sense and they are two very different characters so it would make sense that they deal differently with it but the thing is that yes we didn't you know realize this point of view because it wasn't pointed out to us the way they talk about it yeah but no I, I, I feel I feel very much s- like Yeah, no, like, but the way they talk about it, it's very much like, oh, and guess what I did? I was bathing in the tub and everything. And you should have seen the look in their faces because that's the only conversation they ever had about this. I feel like the depression and this negativity and this fear sneaked up on them a little bit later. So they were in this frenzy when they came back. The adrenaline was running high and this is the conversation they had and they laughed about it. It's when you get through an accident and nothing too bad happens, you tend to first go like, ah, this was crazy, it was wild, ah, and then only afterwards you start realizing, oh my god, this could have gone to, like, proper shits. But also I think there's a difference. Xerophil went down to hell and he experienced what he considers normal demon behavior. Mm. So I don't think he was as shocked. But Crowley got reconfirmed how evil angels are. Mm. Yeah. No, that that actually so brings I, I a feel whole new... It was a bit... More, I don't want to compare levels of trauma, but I think it was more traumatizing for Crowley to go through this. A, because it's angels. B, because he used to be an angel. And C, because it is what would have happened to Aziraphale. Because Aziraphale, on the other hand, he went to hell. It happened exactly what is supposed to happen in hell. And he is not as protective of Crowley as Crowley is of Aziraphale, not as blatantly? I wouldn't say necessarily not as protective, but yes, I don't think that he fears for Crowley and losing Crowley as much as Crowley fears for losing Aziraphale. Also, I honestly think that Aziraphale could move on if he lost Crowley, but not the other way around. Sad to say. Eh, 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 debate. Um, <laughs> but anyway. So much to unpack in this scene. Holy shit, I did not see that coming. It is a very heavy scene. Then, uh, obviously, Crowley's reaction to... Because Jim is seeing all of this raw emotion that Crowley is <sighs> bringing into the room. John Hamm is killing me in this scene. Jim wants to help. He is so genuine. It is so wild. Because the fucking white rice pudding of expression that Gabriel usually is. I'm sorry. It's like the blondest thing I could think of. <laughs> I, I kind of forgot what an amazing actor John M actually is. Because Gabriel was so fucking one note. Yeah. Specifically, and, though, it's not that easy to be one note. Yeah, but you, you start to forget that someone has to be a good actor to be that one note. And now to have Jim be this empathetic and caring and genuinely sorry. Like, I don't think it was me, but I'm really sorry for you. And is there anything I can do? And the instant willingness to do it because Mr. Fell has been very kind to me. Yeah. This is giving me emotions. And of course, Crowley realizes that this is not going to help anything if he just jumps out of a Wendy. I don't blame him. Jump out that window. Okay. I I, I absolutely don't blame him, but it's the moment when he realizes that he's about to actually do it. And he knows that this is not going to help anything. It's not going to make anything better. No, no. Yeah. So... He needs to stop and save a human life because clearly Jim is human, at least in some way. Also, I had a very random realization that uh, David Tennant's voice is quite low when he, <laughs> when uh, you know, the embodiment of Crowley happens. Yes. 
And it gave me a little uh, PTSD for Dean Winchester, I'm not going to lie. Okay, that is a very random reference. It was a very random reference. This moment where we get the metaphor of an empty house. When he tries to make Jim remember, and Jim tries to explain it in a way, he feels like an empty house that was lifted for a very long time, but now it's empty, but it still remembers where everything was. Mm-hmm. And it's to me, it's a really interesting metaphor. It is a very good one as well, because it gives me an instant understanding of what is happening. Of how it feels. I don't understand what is happening, but I understand how it feels and then we sadly don't get too much time to dwell on this metaphor because (laughs) we get the information that he put his memory in a matchbox and and then he took it out of the matchbox and put it into a box and now it's everywhere so it's the fucking fly it's the fucking fly i don't think it's the fly i think they opened the box and the memory just went everywhere leaked out yeah it's like now the memory is inside the bookshop basically so basically the memory is a gas that is mixing with the you know when you have did you do that in chemistry when uh, one of the theories that the particles of gas will mix up and fill up the room regardless of how room the how, how room big the, the room, room is. is how big the room is so this is regardless of how big the container is to contain this memory it will fill it up so it's everywhere in the bookshop I still think it's the fly maybe you're right because we will cut over to something in a moment but then he says something else and Jim says if it happens again it will seem like an institutional problem what does that fucking mean? And I am incredibly confused, but I'm also incredibly intrigued. Also, two options, in my opinion. Okay. Is he the again, or are they trying to prevent him happening again? Is he the first or the second? Is he the it or the again? Because to me, both is possible. Either this has happened before, but once is a mistake. Twice is an institutional problem. So they, whoever they are, need to make sure to get rid of Gabriel so it becomes never known that this is a problem. Mm-hmm. Or he is the first, he's the it, it happened, and now they are terrified of figuring out exactly how it happened because if it happens again, it would be an institutional problem. What if it is the apocalypse? No. So if the failed apocalypse happens again, it's going to oh, become an institutional problem. Oh, you mean it, it is a failed problem. apocalypse, not the apocalypse? Ah. Ooh. Ooh. Let me think about that. And that's just something that, as you were talking, that's a possibility that came to my mind. But I guess we'll see, maybe, if they'll tell us. But it feels like way too random of a sentence for it to not be important in the future. The failed apocalypse could be dead. Yeah. So if they fail again, it's going to become an institutional problem. Huh. That could, yes, I could see that. But also, I think my theory, just putting it out there, because we have been doing so badly with our theories so far. <laughs> I just say how they get into the bookstore. They don't. But we had, you convinced me and I was full on believing. You didn't want it to be true, though. And I yeah, like but that. I believed you. I fully believe you. No, so my theory is that Gabriel is the again. It has happened before and I think it is a Xerophel because it is defecting from heaven. Oh. And I think that Gabriel was trying to leave heaven, to defect from heaven and to prevent him to proper leave heaven and basically join forces with Aziraphale, they forced him into a situation where you had to remove his memory. That is a good one. Because if two angels out of their own free will leave heaven, then it is an institutional problem because heaven as an institution is fucked. Yes, yes. 
that actually makes a lot of sense. So, so I like both of our theories. I like both <laughs> of our theories. I'm very curious which one's going to come to fruition. Yeah. And then Jim gives everything that he has and Crowley can tell. And then he offers him a hot chocolate. <laughs> so Jim is done, as you said, and we go up to heaven with a close-up. A close-up of what, you ask? A close-up of a matchbox. And we just talked Ooh. about a matchbox. Is it the same matchbox? And guess what? There is an Amazon note that the sound over the matchbox is reminiscent of the buzzing of a fly. Mm. Remember that some episodes ago, you brought up the idea that they never fully opened the matchbox and that there's oh. still a fly inside the matchbox. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, I do remember that because I was convinced that they were being spied on. And so now that the matchbox has this sound over it, do you think that is a reconfirmation that you may be right? Well, it's either that or it's reconfirmation that I'm right about the memory being the fly or in the fly. So it's like the memory still sticks to the box a bit and so it gives off the fly noises because the fly is already in the bookshop. The question is, is the matchbox buzzing or is it a sound effect to make us think of a fly when we look at the matchbox? I'm pretty sure it's a sound effect. So it's not coming from the box technically? No, I don't think so. So I think it's just so our brains associate that matchbox with the fly. Blindest person can remember there's a fly when we talked about gravity and everything. Okay. Because not everyone saw the fly the first moment like you did. Well, well. Hmm. And then of course we have this entire miracle relating scene in heaven which is funny and hilarious and Muriel is wearing the skirt again I didn't even notice that oh my god I pointed it out the first time they were wearing it I was hoping that we have seen it this time no. I am disappointed in you I was busy with Muriel's face because they make the cutest faces. I'm sorry, they are incredibly adorable whenever they talk and then think about something for a short moment and then continue talking. Like those those short considerations, like, mm -mm, and then they talk again. It's like, oh my God, there's a button. Is a button. I want to put them in my pocket. It is so cute. I can't. So now we have this whole thing where Muriel literally quotes Crowley to them. Because they have to wait a few days because humans are weird and that's how it works. And Michael's reaction, oh, obviously, I know that. This is literally the problem of heaven because they are so full of themselves that they are self-damaging. And they've been doing this throughout the entire time. And this is egocentrical bullshit. They are so proud of are you, themselves. Are you reading and, my notes? <laughs> no. <laughs> But... One last thing I'm going to say, angels, aren't angels supposed to be like with no ego? Aren't they supposed to be like no. nothing but? No. Okay, good. In that case, everything's fine. I fully agree with you that the fact that the angels are so full of themselves that they are incapable of acknowledging that they know nothing about humans or humanity and how it works. Because we had that with Gabriel in the Job flashback. We have that here with Michael. We have this in so many instances and they would be so much better at being angels if they acknowledge this. 
But I think normal angels are incapable of recognizing when they're wrong or unknowing. And that might also be some lingering, 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 lingering. some lingering reason for Aziraphale's behavior. Because remember, he used to be a normal angel. So it's hard to change your ways after a long time. So I'm, I'm fully there with you. Like, no, no questions there. As for the ego, keep in mind that in theory... Satan, Lucifer, was an angel who fell because of ego. So they have egos. Yes, but also if he didn't have ego, he wouldn't have fell. Yeah, but because he had an ego, he could fall. And if he had an ego, all of them have ego because they were all created together. But technically, if you are so egotistical, you should be fallen angel. If you look at the precedents. Wait, wait. So having an ego does not mean you're egotistical. But having an ego means just you have an ego. Oh, yeah. And no, then, but that's what I'm saying. Oh, you know, and then you look at different characters because Muriel also has an ego. So does Aziraphale. So they're all very different. Like Especially, look at the classics. Michael, Muriel, Aziraphale and Gabe. Mm -hmm. Those are our four current archetypes, basically. <laughs> Archangel types. There's a reason why archetype and archangel. Yes, yes. Same room. Yes. Okay. There, there. Um, <laughs> oh, I can't wait for us to record in the same room. I look so fucking forward to that. I apologize for all the slapping sounds in the future. Um, what was it I saying? Oh. Well, the... Um. What was I saying? Uh, those are all four Something archetypes. about egos, yeah. And you see how different their egos work with themselves and with others. I think all of them have ego, but especially the leading angels and the leading demons are so used to their stuck-up ways that they have no way of getting out of it. Exception apparently being Gabe. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. All right. And now we have this entire situation with Jim slash Gabe slash... Oh, yeah. Book. We go into the As bookshop. Assistant. No, not yet. Not yet. Oh. Oh, sorry. So I didn't realize that they would forget he exists. I thought that they were going to just think that he's some random person and not Gabriel. But because they did interact with him, they saw him when he was right in front of them. But it looks like they forgot of his existence after he's not in front of their faces, which is something that is not necessarily completely 100% true about Muriel because they seem to have the knowledge of the assistant's existence. But only in an abstract. So is it because they didn't see him? Did they meet him? I don't think so. They only heard about him. And so they were not like directly affected by the miracle. Okay, that kind of makes sense then. Because then my favorite moment is when Michael goes, well, there was something about books. And Uriel goes, no, 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 that's Zraphel himself. He's the one who likes books. And I was like, this is so funny to me. How they literally convince themselves that Jim doesn't exist. Also, the way they insist in having Muriel use the traitor and the demon instead of the names. Mm -hmm. oh, they're so extra. They are extremely extra. I am loving the glitter makeup though. On Michael? On both of them. Oh, I didn't realize it on Uriel. I only saw it on Michael. I very much enjoy Uriel sitting literally exactly on the side of the table, watching everything Michael, who is now in charge, is doing, but basically ready to pounce when and if Michael fucks it up because it will happen. I'm here for Uriel and fuck you, Michael. <laughs> yes. Although Uriel seems to be more dangerous than Michael. So we'll see. 
We'll see how it goes. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. <sighs> okay, Now so we go into London, right? Okay, I didn't forget. We go into else. London. And we finally get the, would you like some hot chocolate? And oh, no. He, he already, he, he brings asked, him the he hot brings chocolate. It, yes. Yeah. And we get the hot chocolate being brought. In his mug. Uh, in, of course, in what mug. other mug? And so... I don't know. It just shows that he cares. We have the classic, you're very nice. And Crowley says, no, I'm not. And also nobody would believe you. Which... Except for Israfel, because he would believe him. Are you reading my notes again? Because I literally have here... Also, nobody would believe you. Pretty sure Israfel would. <laughs> oh, we are doing it. It's been a while since we had the, the same notes. And that in an episode where we already fought with... Oh, nice. Uh, it's a roller coaster working mm. with you. <sighs> Same this. I love it. We go downstairs again, and Zirafel is miracling around the furniture in his bookshop to make space. Mm-hmm. Magic noises. Magic noises, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're getting a chandelier as well, and he is sending Crowley out to ensure that the two stars of the evening are coming. Because otherwise he would just carp. <laughs> That's the moment of my word. I have found that moment slightly disturbing because I was getting worried about what the fuck is Israfel planning. And all shall be revealed soon. And I was not wrong to worry because what the actual fact, Israfel? What the fuck? It was obvious to me that he is redecorating because he's having a ball. Because the episode is called The Ball. I mean, yes, this was obvious and straightforward enough. But the fact, the details that he's going to go into are worrying. The only detail that I did not see coming is the everybody is getting brainwashed when they come in. That was... Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. It's like... Redecoration was not my issue. No, come on. No, that was... When he started bringing down the chandelier, I was like, he's going very much overboard and I'm worried. Alas, our favorite character's coming back. Crowley goes outside and Yay. we see Mrs. Sandwich come. Yay! And so She's I back. was like, oh, wait, is Mrs. Sandwich also a shopkeeper? And she comes down some stairs. And so obviously I did a freeze frame and I could only make out two posters. And the one is on the right that says new model, friendly hands. And the other is on the left, no pairs, be brave. With two people stricken out and a person with a green check mark over the one person. I saw them and they're so funny. But yes, as a matter of fact, you were correct. She goes in and she has the first magical outfit change, of course. Yes, which I, when I watched it for the first time, I have seen it. My brain wouldn't comprehend it. I missed it the first time completely. I saw the hoodie and I remember looking at the hoodie and I'm like thinking to myself, this is very Mrs. Sandwich. I really like the hoodie. I really like the casual. It looks very comfortable. And then she walks in. I saw the sparkles and I'm like, wait, is this what she wore? And my brain went like, yeah, that's what she wore. Because it's also very Miss Sandwich. It's also very Miss Sandwich. So only the second viewing when I was making my notes, I was like, oh, oh, she's wearing different clothes. But so this is the moment where obviously I was like, I think she might indeed be a madam. And obviously later in this scene, I get proven right. Yes, well done. When she says that she's a seamstress. Oh God, that conversation. Oh, Did you we'll catch that episode. reference? Because in this world, seamstress is a euphemism for sex worker. Oh, I forgot about that. Oh my God. Did you? And you call yourself a fan? Ooh, shots fired. I'm, so, I'm sorry. It's not like I First of forgot all, shots fired. about the finale of season one or anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. First of all, that. Second of all, 
I have. I don't think I've ever read Terry Pratchett's novel in English. So what's the Czech word for seamstress? Švadlana. But I don't think that's the same thing. I think that they must have used something else. But I don't know. I I would have to go back and check because I do not remember, and I admit to that. So yes, I am being called out, and I'm trying to uh, distract you with shiny things. <laughs> totally fine. <laughs> I didn't know it, but I thought it was fucking hilarious. But I was very very happy because this is the moment where I was like, hmm, maybe I'm right, and she indeed is a madam. And then shortly after, I am right. She is a madam. So yes, I was but very happy. First, she is asked by Israfel what do her girls do and she says they stand on their own two feet like the government said so mwah, love this but there's now a quick intersection with Crowley checking on Nina right well we first realize that there will never never be any seats because the dancing will begin soon and they would have to move them oh I ignored that that's, that, that's a dude coming in asking where the chairs are I was like nobody cares you, you're dead in a moment <laughs> But Crowley does go check on Nina. And honestly, this is another point that I'm like, the two of them are vibing. Nina opens up to him. told him to check on Nina. Yes, but Nina is opening up to him and he is responding. Because she's heartbroken, because she just got broken up with. Yeah, he is also responding though. So, you know, it's not just, it's not just one-sided. Nope, it is not. And... He can smell something going wrong. Yeah, he's like starting to get a headache. He notices something is wrong. He describes it as there's always something wrong, but this one's different. It's coming in waves like hangover. Oh, hangover, not headache. Sorry. Nina basically told him that she's not coming because she's going to go home and basically drink since she is now single and sad. And Crowley is like, uh, yo, no, you go in there. He can protect you. Trust someone for once in your life. And also he can completely understand the idea of going home and drink alone because that's what he loves to do too. Pretty sure he has done that. Before we can learn more about what is happening in the street, we cut into the bookshop and we see Jim. And Jim is wearing something. So Nina also gets an outfit change as she enters the bookshop. So we Does follow she? her in. Yes. She is wearing a t-shirt, white t-shirt with some prints when she's outside. And she walks inside and she is wearing like a blazer thingy. I went back and forth and I was sure she doesn't get an outfit change. She gets an outfit change. So does Maggie. Uh... Maggie, Maggie, yes, but I was sure Nina didn't get one and I thought that was the reason why she was more aware as to mm-hmm. the shenanigans. She also doesn't have a bag when she enters. She has a bag when she's leaving the shop. Mm. And I remember because her strap of the bag is co- going across her chest and across the print that she had on the white t-shirt. This is curious, so, no, I believe you, but I specifically went back and forth and I was so <laughs> sure she didn't have an outfit change. Well, third viewing it is then. I was really not feeling great yesterday when I did the final watch. Oh, well. But that is not happening. No, we follow her inside. Yes. And we, we see follow her inside Jim. and we see Jim. And Jim is wearing something that is, no, it's it's not chef's kiss. It's atrocious and horrible and giving me nightmares. I love it so much. It's horrible. It's but you can horrible. tell it's not the full outfit. We will see the full outfit soon. Oh my God. But yeah, no. I'm loving this. Nina comes up to Israfel and says, I know for a fact that I am upset. Why do I not feel upset? It feels like, again, with the D&D, uh, it feels like Israfel has cast calm emotions on Nina. 
Yeah, because basically. She knows for a fact that she is upset. On everybody. Everybody has been put under an enchantment. Oh. And I am not here for it. I don't like it. Not just because of like basic bullshit like Justine suddenly having a fake French accent because fuck that just because you obsess about learning French the hard way you don't have to turn someone who has been living in this country for 15 years and speaks perfect fucking English into someone with a heavy fucking French accent just because it fits your idea of that person better like zip that if you listen to all of the other people there everybody's accent has changed so but yeah with her I have the major issue because he made a point about it earlier. I'm not happy with anything that he does with the changes. Then, of course, there's the whole we all speak differently because we're now in a Jamin Austin novel, so fine, whatever. But also, they can't say certain things, which we will later on see. And, like, okay, maybe change the style they talk. Okay, whatever. But to, like, limit them in such a way? Ugh. Yeah, to censor them, that is... I don't like that's that like, at that's, all. That's, that's a final line. And then, of course, on top of all of that, we have the changed emotions and this is where we toe the line with free will and so this is something that i hope is being addressed somehow in the next episode because if not we are gonna have to talk about this but before we can enjoy <laughs> the entire ball we need to do a quick jump over into the music shop because maggie is running late and she is just now leaving the shop Mm-hmm. Very oblivious to what's happening around her, by the way. Yeah, because she never misses a meeting. She's very single-minded, focused on getting there and not be too late. Maggie is walking through the mist towards the bookshop. And Crowley notices that there's something. Something? Someone's, yeah. Uh, following her. Also, the fog is really thick already. Yeah, it's it's getting really bad. It's getting quite dark. It's basically night fall at this point and he does what he does best he puts himself in the middle of it always front line for Crowley I hate it I get it but I hate it Crowley jumps out in front of them and screams out you are out of order and, and stops them I think he also uh, starts taking off the masks from them yeah that, I think that he starts doing that when we come back to him next but yes and I found it curious because I'm pretty sure Shaq said something along the lines that they had masks for those who aren't passing as humans and yes the first demon he takes the mask off actually has like a flop thingy happen the moment you take off the mask so I get why that demon was wearing a mask the other two have normal mouths I know I was thinking the same thing. And also, they're surgical masks. Yeah, but I mean, COVID, come on, it makes sense. I know, but I full on expect it because I'm pretty sure that somebody shows up with like a Venetian mask. <laughs> and one of them, because I feel like one of them has horns or maybe like tries to pretend that it's a, try to pretend it's a Venetian mask rather. But it felt that way. And that's what I expected to see. And then I just saw the surgical masks and I was just like, yeah. I like the surgical masks because COVID. No, it, it was great. <laughs> it just sent me. I think he also refers here to them as the bottom of the barrel. Yes. Which again. Nice. Yes. They are clearly not the best demons that hell might have to offer. I mean, does hell have any best demons aside from Crowley? Do we know? No, seriously. No. Have we met a single decent demon? It feels to me like the, the proper good decent demons, as in they're being good at being a demon, are getting killed. Like Eric, the coffee demon. <laughs> He's yeah. a is good it? demon. He's doing a good job at being a demon. 
but he keeps getting murdered by stupid higher-up demons. Mm -hmm. And that is probably the reason why there are no actual proper demons, because they keep getting killed by the incompetent higher-ups. Yeah, because they don't like when the lower bottom of the barrel, in another meaning, is getting too smart and might overtake the hierarchy. Yay! Patriarchy! Um, Demonarchy! Something. Um, Sorry. (laughs) Something-archy! I was about to say David. No, um, Crowley is not dealing with them too long. He also retreats into the shop and now gets to experience the whole of the ball. And I think now it is going to get a bit chaotic because a lot of things happen right after each other. Let's see what you found noteworthy and what I found noteworthy. Let's now, see. First of all, we get the seamstress conversation now. Oh yeah, finally. Seamstress. Which is, I hate the concept of why this conversation is happening, but I love the conversation itself. We also see, what's this character's name? Mrs. Not Chang. Mrs. Sandwich, Mrs. Ching. Do we know if she spoke English? Did Zrafel talk to her in Chinese because she doesn't speak English? Or did he just spoke to her because he speaks Chinese? I I have no idea. So that was just something that I thought of that suddenly she speaks perfect English with a beautiful British accent. But she's the way she's stroking the Yeah, that, that was fun. I was foking. 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 Fucking. I mean, focusing. Yeah, exactly. That was what I was focusing on because... While she's listening, she's just basically wanking off the fan she holds. And I didn't realize that it was a fan until she opens it because it looked like quite shiny and it genuinely actually kind of looks like a dildo. I mean, I was pretty sure she was not being given a dildo because it's a UFL, but... I mean, yeah, especially since now we can't apparently say certain words, but it was very suggestive and it was very fun. Mm -hmm. Welcome to Jane Austen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was also very much on brand. Mm -hmm. And the dancing is about to begin. We are about to dance. We are about to dance. So Maggie approaches Nina and this whole situation feels very much like we are doing what is proper. And uh, Maggie is giving into it a little bit more because it feels like she is living out her fantasy in some way. I read it as Nina is the only one aware that shit is happening. Maggie does not read as she realizes what is going on until Nina points it out. Nina is aware while still being affected. Yes. And then we have, why isn't Nina affected? Is it because she is in such a bad mental place? Is it, why? Why? I don't understand. Why is she the only one? This is something that I would really love to know. I hope we get an answer to that next episode because like, this is basically a double episode. It feels like it is because her personality might be a little bit more questioning. You know how some people get affected in an easier way by certain trends or influences and stuff like that. Some people are easier to hypnotize and others simply are impossible to hypnotize. Yeah. So maybe it's that. Or her heightened emotions are blocking some of the effect. Or maybe it's something completely different that we don't know. We have zero information. So anything we do is speculation. Yes. Love that. So Maggie and Nina don't have a different accent and they are the only two people so far that I have noticed that speak the same as they did before entering the shop. I did not notice that everyone is speaking with an accent, but you are the accent person. So I only noticed Justine and that was it. (laughs) And Zrafel is having a blast watching this all happen and I am not happy about that. I would not say he's having a blast. He is making... The face, every person who has ever been 
fan of a ship on a show makes when that ship happens. We get this beautiful contrast situation where we have Crowley approach the window and we see the darkness and the mist and it feels like it's a middle of winter, kind of a grim, gross, cold outside and the warm light yellow soft light on the inside with the music and everything then this actually gives me even more Jane Austen vibes because and Jane Eyre and and whatever you kind of anything historical like that this is the vibe that I see that inside of the castles and manners and shit like that this is the warmth and the laughter and the music and the fire sticks and everything and 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 you know the warm light of a fire and then on the outside we have the swamps and the Baskervillian dogs and and, and all the wolves of this shit howling yes <laughs> this is giving me so much atmosphere i love this so if aziraphale knew how creepy and desolate it looked outside he would be very happy he would be even happier than he is yeah but yes. speaking of contrasts we also get jim constantly and still speaking in his own american gabriel accent. He's not affected by this at all. No, he is no. dressed up. He's just up, clueless. But that's it. He does not speak Jane Austen. He does not censor and he is not part of all of this. But he is still doing his part because he's serving food that he's not charging for. It's so cute. It's so funny to me. So he cringy. is such a... It is super cringy but like in a good way no. for me. For you, I'm happy that you like it so please do take us through the scene because <laughs> it was incredibly cringy. I hated it with a passion. Well, this bit, I love the way he speaks. I love the way he offers food. But when he does the whole face thing, I was just like, let's pretend that never happened. Oh, speaking of the face thing, you remember when I said that at the ball, every day is being played? Oh, yeah. That's the moment where Amazon tells you that in the background, every day cover is being played. Oh, my God. That is actually so basically accurate. Jim's theme song, I would say. It is now Jim's theme song. Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> But the reason why I earlier said that it feels like Azrafel is getting swept up slightly with his own thing, magic, is when he grabs Crowley's hand and drags him to dance with a little giggle. His face! It's... it's I, 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 I thought I, I, they are dancing and I, I no, just... I, no, 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 no. Before, before they go dancing, I was not okay, okay? Like, at all. Because Crowley comes up to him and says that there is something really wrong. And I'm with you, with the exasperation, how little Aziraphale cares. Like, no disagreement there. But also, in my mind, because I'm a wishful person. This was all set up and now he has the perfect opportunity to dance with Crowley. Because they are both aware, in my brain, with the whole, you go too fast for me and la 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 la, you know? And in my brain, it's like, well... I set up the perfect romance situation for two. I could as well use this for me. And this, so right now nothing matters because that is the focus, you know? And so he says, perhaps you can tell me while we dance. And the face Michael Sheen makes when he says that line. I am still upset with a zero fall, but I'm also okay with him. <laughs> That's Those eyes. Fair enough. Do you know what? I'm... And he Now drags that we think about him it. by the hand. They don't touch that much. I know, they don't. I'm not okay. So I'm going to present a theory to you and hopefully I'm not going to make you angry now that you're in such a good moment. I'm not good. I'm... 
you're 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 a goner. I know, I can see that. Emotion in my eyes. Basically. Okay. Because and you say you say this all the time. You always say, <laughs> Crowley, you're too you're you you go too fast for me. So what if Crowley was pushing for this relationship to happen so much that when he is told you go too fast for me, he realizes that he can't be forcing Zrafel to commit to him too fast. So he stops pushing and he takes a step back and he is just doing whatever Zrafel allows him to do because that's the journey that he is choosing because he would rather not lose him completely than so he doesn't think of them as being in an actual relationship because Zrafel didn't make that step and he is waiting for him to be ready and make that step so when then Nina points out that they look like they are together he is taken back by it and unsure about wait but I mean I don't really know how to react to that because I've taken a step back and did I miss something yes basically (sighs) while now Azrafel is full-on like forward forward. (laughs) and I feel like this might be the first time that this is happening for Crowley and he just not right now come on dude we are getting attacked worst timing ever but why would I get angry about this this is like great no yes but I just wasn't sure if if you would be on board with this idea so I hope that you are because I I think that it's actually a really good explanation to these things it also works really well with shortly later on Crowley likes to take care of Aziraphale because taking care of someone is the easiest non-invasive way of being there for someone to simply be there whenever the need arises to just be the person who is there who to be the person to fix something if something needs fixing that's what he does and he enjoys it because it's the one way he can like contribute to the not yet proper relationship but to the friendship because taking care of each other is also happening in the friendship so it fits. It fits very well, I have to say. Yeah, yes. I like that. But it's still cool. the worst possible timing. Yes, it's the worst fucking possible timing. We know, but also they're dancing. And yes. Crowley is forced to focus on the fact, unfortunately, that there is a bunch of fucking demons outside. Because Israel's safety is more important than Crowley's happiness. It's called love. I am not okay at oh, all. I know, I know. And I won't be an, even after the end of this episode. Yeah. <laughs> so now we learned some stuff about the bookshop. We learn about the fact that this is an embassy. Yeah, that was um, surprising and not going to lie, a tiny bit disappointing. <laughs> a little bit, a little yeah. bit. But we also... had so many theories <laughs> once again. <laughs> I know vampires, fucking vampires. <laughs> Thresholds. <laughs> but oh. also this makes sense. We have uh, Zrafel actually literally say, I think you're overestimating how much trouble we're actually in. Mm-hmm. And I yet again scream out, I think that you're taking it way too lightly, my dude. And that's the moment when we get the uh, throw-in broken window and throw-in stone that says, surrender the angle. Because which is demons can't spell. <laughs> and I love that Crowley was like, I think they were supposed to actually say you know they're not very good with and shucks just uh, surrender the angel yeah demons are not great i mean how did crowley be as amazing as he is if that is demons <sighs> well because he has never been an ordinary demon and he He's has never wanted to be one yes special boy 
He is the one who created the universe. So you skipped over a tiny, tiny thing that I wanted to point out. And I know it's completely irrelevant, but I obsess <laughs> about the tiniest shit. So remember how the demons had to take the stairs because the elevator is broken. But we do see the elevator and everything because the small elevator works. The elevator has three buttons, which makes sense because hell, earth, heaven. Ah, ah, ah. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to point out that the That's elevator okay. has three buttons. Nice. Yes. So I love that all the demons actually had to take the stairs, but Shucks, obviously, because she's the leader. She gets the entrance. Come on. She gets the entrance. Doors opening earth. <laughs> but she also proves the fact that she is a very bad leader. Yes. Because this Leads is not how you manage. Example. Yeah. So, you know, another disappointment for Shucks. Things are not going well for her. But that is okay. That is okay. I want to point out, as chaotic as all of this is, I was ecstatic that your prediction and my belief in your prediction is completely wrong and not true. <laughs> well, it's not the end of the day yet. No, but obviously with all the shit that happens now and with Gabriel and rules being made up, la 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 la, very obviously your prediction that I 120% believed is not coming to pass. And I am very happy about that. <laughs> Same, honestly. So I just wanted to point that out because like, whee! <laughs> I edited it today and I was like, oh my God, I was really unhappy about this. You uh, were so unhappy. Yeah. Sorry, I complained about the random thing that never even came to pass. It's fine. <laughs> That's what we do. Because this time, for the first time, we are actually completely, well, not completely, but we are very much unspoiled. So we get again the bookshop is called an independent embassy this time i don't really know what that means because it used to be a heaven embassy if i understand it correctly but it no longer is yeah but basically as i understood it the bentley should be an embassy as well in my opinion basically they fucked off with their switching sides and la 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 and then it was like oh no we can't touch them and so they are left be and by that it was kind of agreed that they are like the the independent and power. They're like the, the relevant third political party in the States. <laughs> yeah, who cares? Nobody knows they exist. Yeah, um, no, but as I understood it, basically because of the shenanigans that happened in the end of season one, Aziraphale and Crowley together are accepted as a separate entity. Mm -hmm. And they are independent from heaven and hell, and thus the bookshop is an independent embassy. I don't understand why the Bentley isn't as well. Maybe because it is an extension of Crowley and not a location. Yeah, possible. And also Crowley can freely enter and leave the bookshop, but so could the angels or did... No, Aziraphale invited them in, right? It's possible. Yeah. He invited Gabe in. He invited Muriel in. Did he invite... I'm pretty sure, did he? I, I'm pretty sure he says something like, let's go inside. Yeah, to, uh... because that would mean that also for angels, the threshold holds, which would make sense if it's an independent embassy, because then it goes into all directions. And since Crowley can enter freely, and Aziraphale can enter freely, it's the embassy for the two of them, basically. Because we know that Crowley likes to spend time waiting inside, so it's also his home. Oh my god. Yeah. D uh, listen. No apartment. No apartment. No apartment. Okay, I am slowly letting loose of that idea because they share, obviously, the apartment above book bookshop. Okay. Now with Jim as well. That's that's okay. I can, I can live with that. And now... 
One of my favorite moments of this episode happens where uh, not only we have Jim decide to do the right thing, which is which not surprising, completely backfires, but like this is a part of the fun thing. It tracks. Yeah, it really, really does because Zerafel was nothing but good to him. And even now, when everybody is in danger, when he was jumping out of the window, he was willing to do that. So it works. Yeah. But even then, when all of these humans are in danger, Zerafel says, no, 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 you came to me and I said I would protect you. So this is what I'm going to do. And the only thing that in this point could happen, in my opinion, is Jim going, I'm going to stand up to this because you are a good person and all of these people are in danger. And the solution is me going outside. That's what it is. And then for some reason, he puts on the coat. Because he's going outside. I love this so much. This fucking outfit is so good. When you go outside, you put on your coat. So it makes sense that you put it on. But what is that coat? Where did it come from? It's the best thing since sliced bread. I'm telling you. it's. <sighs> I love it so much. I know everybody is fucking obsessed with the mental coat thingy that Ken wears in the movie. I don't fucking care. I don't get it. Whatever. Yes, I watched the movie. Don't DM me. This is the coat that people should cosplay. Yes. I don't care about what Ken wears. Next to Jim, it all pales to black, to white, to nothing. I mean, the suit is atrocious, but damn, that would be a cosplay. <sighs> God, that's a statement, I'm telling you. That's a statement from Jim. The only thing that could again happen here is that Shucks does not see him as Gabriel because... To me, that was incredibly obvious that they can't tell it's him. And I'm glad that this happens because I would have hated for them to suddenly realize that this is Gabriel and take him because that would be completely against everything that we've seen so far. So this tracks. Work, it wouldn't make sense. It wouldn't track would not be consistent. No, 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 no. So, obvious. This is what had to happen. But I love the fact that Jim decided to do the right thing and also did the right thing. It is not Jim's fault that it didn't work. He did everything he could. He has no power of changing the miracle. So, he's coming back inside again. Well, before he goes back inside, we have Shaq's spelling. And <laughs> she says, go back inside and if we don't get the Archangel Gabriel right now, everybody inside is toast. And I was like, I should have done toast again. And then she starts spelling toast and she spells it T-O-S-T. -T. And then she stops herself and gives it like a little side look when she's like thinking about it and goes E. And it's <laughs> just like toste, toste. Like Mwah. misspelling things always makes me think of The Simpsons with the I am so smart, S-M-R-T, you know, smart. Even in German, they have a different thing with the Ich bin so klug, K-L-U-K. Uh, so, yeah. No, Jim is coming back in sight. And now we have a problem because the situation is basically unsolvable. But Crowley would not be Crowley if he didn't think quickly on his feet. And I believed him. I believed everything he said. I thought what he was saying were actual rulings and subclauses and la 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 la. I thought, yeah, of course he knows that. He is, yep, yeah, sure. He was the ambassador of Earth for millennia. And he knows how demons work and everything. So I was like, sure. And then he turns He's around. He's the one smart demon. And he turns around and I just made up a bunch of... Like, what the fuck? I believed you! <laughs> the treachery! Ah, <laughs> oh, they got me. He got me. Fucking Crowley. Oh. Uh. It's so good. But, you know, we are gullible because we are the viewers, but the demons are gullible because they're just stupid. They just, yeah, how have they survived until 
this. Now, of course, now we get the shopkeepers association person who is still holding some sort of a newspaper, oh. by the way, which I don't even know what the newspaper says because he has it covered and it was covered by my subtitles every time I stopped it. I ignored this person the entire episode. I did not note when he came in and complained about the missing tears and I did not make a note about him going out and dying. He goes out and the entire time that is happening, Crowley is doing that little dance thing. Which, it's reminding me of something. I can't remember what. Did he do a dance like that before? He did the uh, My Feet Hurt thingy in the church in season one. But it wasn't like quite the same. I feel like it's giving me, I don't know if it's like Beetlejuice vibes or what it is, but it's giving me, I've seen this kind of a thing before and I cannot for the life of me remember where. Dear listeners, if this reminds you of something specific, please help Vero figure out the answer. Let me know because I am wrecking my brain and I can't put my finger on it. However, it entertained me greatly and oof, love this. I didn't care about the dude, but I care about Crowley. Dude goes out, dude does not come back, we no care. So now Shax is like, get your humans out there, otherwise we're gonna start killing. We start organizing all the humans and Crowley queues up with Mrs. Sandwich next to his site, while Nina is deciding to stay behind to die bravely. Yeah, so this is another moment when I'm like, Crowley and Nina are pals now because Crowley takes the lead with Mrs. Sandwich and says, Nina, you're going to be at the back. He says Nina and Maggie. It's not a Nina focus. He says, okay, so in, but what he says then is he doesn't ask Maggie if she's coming. He says, Nina, are you coming? No, because Maggie has already said by this that she's not leaving Aziraphale. Nina has not made up her mind. Okay, you make your own conclusions. I make my own conclusions. I think that the only reason he called out Nina to be at the rear is because he trusts her to make sure that everybody's out and they have this little thing going. So he's making sure that she's coming and when she tells him no, he appreciates that she's deciding to die bravely. So <laughs> That is fine. In my opinion, the only reason he asks Nina and Maggie to bring up the rear is because they are the least affected by the fucking confusion. So Possible. We all have our headcanons. And much more importantly, because I still don't care about Nina or Maggie, I'm sorry, but I care about Mrs. Sandwich. And she pairs up with Crowley. And we have the whole thingy and they go for a bit. You think he's okay? No, he's not. La la la, whatever. And they go for the street. And then he tells all of them to like go quickly into their shops and try to forget as much about this as they can. And Mrs. Sandwich says to him that he's a good lad. And it's, I think, the first time he didn't come across as offended when someone tells him he's being good. He still says he's not, but he says it in a very nice way. So he's neither a good or a lad. But usually he gets a bit aggressive or defensive or something. And this time it was a very kind reaction, I felt. So I care more about Crowley and Mrs. Sandwich's friendship as I care about Crowley and Nina. That's absolutely fair. Another little thing that we learn, which was actually mind-blowing to me, and it answers one of our questions that we had at the beginning of the season. As they are coming out, Shax says, I have your mail. It stacks up at the door. So that means to me that Shax is living in Crowley's old apartment. And that is why he's living in the Bentley with his plants. Exactly, which means that his apartment is now the uh, outpost of hell has always been. on Earth and has always been and it doesn't belong to him anymore. Ha ha ha. Okay, so... Remember how we talked about Zerfel always having way too much money on him and probably having a hand in which shop stays in which person's hands and la la la? Mm -hmm. So I'm pretty sure Zerfel bought the bookshop 
at some point. Like, it belongs to him. Crowley definitely never fucked around with money. Because why? Why bother? Because he can just miracle everything to himself. He doesn't need He money. probably just had a place that was provided by hell. And the only thing inside the place that he cared about were the plants, which he took with him when he left. So when the whole shebang of season one happened, heaven couldn't kick Aziraphale out of the bookshop because it was already his. But hell could kick Crowley out of his place and just turn it into the new embassy thingy. Uh, not embassy, like, yeah, but outpost thingy, whatever. And I am here for it. This is actually consistent. I love this. This is making me very very happy. Mm-hmm. I love it a little bit so much because it explains a lot and it also makes sense to me that Crowley is still getting a whole bunch of mail. We still got that little insert of like... Yeah, take it now. It's really bad timing. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like... Can't do it now, sorry. And she goes along with it. In the middle of something. He says no, and she holds on to it. Like, she's not happy about it, but she does it. So I'm like... Because I feel she's like, oh, I'm going to just give it to him next time. I'll see him. It's fine. Because there's obviously going to be a next time. Okay, what? Yeah, Shag's still not used to the whole human interaction thingy. Yep. We cut into the bookshop and there Maggie and Nina are still there while Aziraphale is pulling a rug to the side. And this is the communication thing that he used in season one. Yeah. This is also the moment, the scene where we get a couple of very important information to me. First of all, both Nina and Maggie have different motivations to be there because Maggie is there because she doesn't want to leave Israfel alone. While Nina is there, this is fucking weird and I want to know what's going on. And I am with Nina on this one. Same. Absolutely. Same. Give me answers. If I have to die, at least I want to know why before I die. And what's happening. And Maggie is just there for moral support. So basically to do nothing. No, I feel Maggie feels indebted to Aziraphale, which makes sense. But she can't really help. So there is not really any point in her being there. Obviously for the whole shipping thing to happen, it makes sense that Nina and Maggie need to be there together. Like the Yeah. That being said though, so Maggie does ask, that's another information that we get. She asks Zerafel what's going to happen. And Zerafel goes, oh, yeah, and Crowley's going to come back and he's going to have a plan. He will have a plan. Nina says, well, why don't you stand up for yourself and have your own plan, which is coming from her current mindset. I think you're right. But I also think from a healthy point of view, Aziraphale should not be this dependent on Crowley. And yes, he should have his own plan. And when he says, rescuing me makes him so happy, I got incredibly angry. And yes, obviously, Aziraphale has some kind of plan because he's starting to prepare something. So he has a plan. But also, I am not confident in Aziraphale's type of plans. Hmm. You know what? Right now, I am hoping that what's going to happen... Let's actually, you know what, let's get the next happenings out of the way and then I'm going to give you my theory. Yeah, next we go outside and Crowley is a little trapped. He's not 100% sure if what he has in mind is going to happen. He looks around and he sees Muriel. I thought he was looking for her. This came across as very deliberate to me because he knew she was still around. Did he know? Yeah, because it takes a few days to see that they're in love and Nina and Maggie have not yet been confirmed in love so Muriel has to hang around to witness them being in love so until that happens they have to be there and because Nina and Maggie are inside the bookshop Muriel has to be close that actually makes quite a lot of sense which is why I thought he was like okay where Muriel because I want to go to heaven and Muriel is my ticket up there Mama. <laughs> Vavoom. Vavoom. sorry that's the matter 
a word. Yeah. So this was my thought process. Yeah. No, no it doesn't sound unrealistic. Say it wrong. Say, say it right. Say Either it right. way, if he expected them to be there or not, he makes a decision. He comes up to Muriel and convinces them to arrest him. <laughs> which blah, is blah, 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 blah. blah. Incredible. I love this moment. He does not have time to go through any intricate lies. He just needs them to bring him inside of heaven. Whatever the fuck he's trying to do there, I do not know. But that's what happens. I mean, we're going to have to have theories, right? We're going to have theories, but he gets into the uh, elevator and Shucks sees him go up. Muriel looks so confused and so insecure while they're standing next to Crowdy because they keep side-eyeing him with the... What? what? Like, you're not trying to trick me, right? Like, why would I trick you? Obviously, he's trying to trick them. I feel a bit sorry for Muriel because I'm pretty sure this is not going to go over well for them, bringing a demon up to heaven. So I feel sorry for Muriel. But Crowley has a reason and I get why he does not care about anyone else. I really hope that Muriel is going to end up on the right side of things because... I feel like they have a good head on their shoulder, even though they have very little experience with what's happening But they seem right now. to have a kind soul. Exactly, which is rare for angels. angels. Yes. But Shax sees him go up. She turns around and realizes what happens. So what I think might happen now is she's going to realize that Kroll is not there. She doesn't see Azrafel as a threat at all. And she's going to think to herself, this is my moment. This is the moment when I'm going to take the bookshop because Crowley is the only one I'm afraid of or can pose any sort of a threat to what's happening and he's not here. So uh, I am really hoping that Zrafel is going to have some sort of a plan that's going to be actually functional. But how are they going to storm the bookstore? The threshold is still active. I I don't know. I don't know. Like, I agree with you that Shax is not going to wait for Crowley to come back or anything. And I'm pretty much in agreement that she will not think Aziraphale can hold his own by himself against her handful of bottom barrel demons. Because yes, he is an angel, but he is not an actual official angel anymore. And he's alone. And she has like her 70-something demons. So I'm I'm with you there. I just still do not see how she with her army in quotation marks is going to make it in there. So I'm very curious how that is going to turn out. I mean we're done now, right? So now we're going to go in general thoughts. I don't have many general thoughts because basically I just had ah <laughs> Because I am still hyper-focusing on the rescuing me makes him so happy. And this puts a turn on Aziraphale's behavior, or a potential turn, that I will have ginormous issue with if it turns out to be true. That he actively basically put himself and people around him in situations that were harmful or dangerous and had Crowley sort those situations. Because then I will... I'm not sure how much my love for the character could recover from that because it harmed so many people, including Crowley. So that is something I'm I'm very much hyper-focusing on. I must say, all in all, while I did expect parts of this, I did not expect the season to be this separated, I have to say. So we have like the four episodes before. So we have the opening and then we have like all the minisodes that get 
longer and longer and longer. And then we have the double episode basically as the finale. I expected a more continuous flow for the episodes. And yes, you said like this is meant to be binged. Yeah, it's still supposed to work otherwise as well. And I'm very curious how it's going to be once we finish it. Because like so many things that we have now like gotten explained or figured out or that now are making sense are things that we complained about before. But even if I binge this, like each episode is nearly an hour long. I don't want to be angry for four hours to then have an explanation in the last two hours, you know? So while this episode made me very, very happy on many, many levels, and while I am not annoyed at most of the things anymore that used to annoy me. Like, I was annoyed in the beginning by Shax. I was annoyed in the beginning by Nina and Maggie. I was annoyed by Jim's repeated cluelessness. And, like, I, I was a lot, like, complain wise And as usual, and yes, I probably should not have doubted them, but as usual, those wonderful people making good omens did not disappoint. They have delivered on basically everything that I've complained about, as I hope they would. But in that moment, I wasn't happy. And I am very curious if the next episode is gonna make me happy enough that I will say it was worth it to be as worked up about certain things. And yes, I like getting worked up about things, but still it all needs to come together in the end. So I'm very, very curious. I will not be watching the episode tonight because I am dead on my feet, but I will be watching it as soon as I can. And then we will record it next week. And let's see if it was all worth it. <laughs> I love that you said you were going to be brief. No. Four minutes later. <laughs> okay. Finally, we have gotten an episode where things are happening. I do understand the importance of the Minnesota and the Megazode with all the setup that we got, but it's nice to actually see things to come to fruition. To keep this snappy, while I am still not on board with Maggie, I have totally warmed up to Nina. And I am very curious about what's going to happen with Jim and his fucking fly. And holy shit, just let me watch the finale. And with this, we say thank you for listening. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find us as The Apple of Truth on Twitter and Instagram. We will keep you updated if or when Twitter crashes and burns. You can also send us your comments and complaints to goodomens at taot-podcast.com. If you want to get that sweet, sweet extra content, early episode release and more, like six seasons of another show more, head to patreon.com slash TAOT podcast. And if you like what you hear, please do write us a positive iTunes review. They help a ridiculous amount. And don't forget to pester all your friends about us. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. Bye.